Last week, um, I, as you know, forgot to do the handout. So that's on the back table there. So if you want the handout from last week, help yourself to that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so there's the handouts from last week as well as this week. So uh, make sure you get one of those. Um, <clears throat> so let's see. There was something else I was going to talk about. Well, I tell you what, why don't we start with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started looking at Shalom. Oh God, our Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word, for the way it guides us with principles that we can apply to our lives when we struggle with fear and worry. And we pray that you will be our comfort today, and help us to see um, how, to, uh, how to be availing ourselves of peace and to be peacemakers and then to look for yesterday, today, and tomorrow and see how that all applies. Thank you for your blessings to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week I asked the question if, if you wanted to look up shalom and see what it meant. So did anybody do that this week? What, in fact, if, if you know, what does shalom mean? Peace, okay? That's pretty good. Actually means more than that, if you can believe it. Let me kind of read a little list of what, what's packed into the word shalom. Peace, harmony, contentment, freedom. My mic is popping here. Completeness, well-being, prosperity, health, safety, and love. None of the blessing of life is missing from this word. And this is what we seek. Instead of fear, shalom. Now, <clears throat> I asked for Brian to help me with this, so bear with me. You can see on the, on the outline there, it says, shalom, peace be with you. And then there's a, a Hebrew phrase, and it's mashalamcha. Did I do that? Yeah, ha. All right. Thank you. What does that mean? Well... <clears throat> It's kind of like when we say, how are you? Um, and it's translated as, what is your peace or well-being? And so there's just so much in that that we think about that, what is your peace? What is your well-being? Um, so I think it would be best if we go to God's Word to try to find out and kind of fill that in a little bit and see where that goes. And you can see i got a pretty long list of, of uh, scriptures there. And so, if you kind of want to just look along with me into that, uh, I'll try to go a little bit slower so you can look them up, uh, but basically we just want to read these and think a little bit about them as we go along. So God promises his people peace if they observe his law and obey his commands to them. This is about relationship, right? He wants them to know him and love him and demonstrate that through obedience. Look at Leviticus 26, verse 3 through 6. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase. And the trees of the shield shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing. <clears throat> and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, 
and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Really a huge blessing there. It kind of, it, it covers everything, right? I mean, the, the, um, the increase of the land and peace and all of that, uh, none shall make you afraid. Then he pronounces peace, or shalom, to his people in Numbers 6, verse 24. I'm sure you've probably all heard this one. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. A very standard blessing, but it's the idea of God lifting up his countenance so that we see his face through his blessing, through the peace that he offers us in his word. Psalm 85, verse 8. Um, as, I, as I read this, think about this as maybe your first prayer in the morning. Psalm 85, verse 8. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Um, this was a prayer for Israel. They, they wanted God to relent from uh, from what he was, his wrath on them, and 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 he did, um, but but then so the psalmist says, but let them not turn back to the folly. What is that folly? Well, it's the sin of, I think, fear and worry, and the things that take our minds off of what God has for us. That He is there to give us perfect peace. <clears throat> Speaking of which, let's look at Isaiah twenty-six, verse three. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What do we fill our minds with? Pretty easy to fill our minds with the chaos of our world and the things that are going on around us and the worry and the fear and the anxiety that goes with that. But it says we will have perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. And I think that means studying God's word, meditating on it, filling your mind with the things of God rather than the things of this world that would lead to fear. It's the focus of our mind. Knowing God in his ways gives us peace. Isaiah 32, verse 7. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Where is our righteousness? Is it in us? Is it what we do? It's in Christ, exactly. And so we know that our righteousness is in Christ, and the effect of that is peace, quietness, and trust. It's really a comforting thought. Isaiah 48, verse 18 says, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, that your peace would be like, have been like a river. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. It, have you ever stood by a river bank that was quietly flowing by or by the seashore where the waves are coming up quietly and just kind of rolling across the rocks? There's an idea of, of peace there that's associated with that. And I couldn't help but think of that when I was thinking of this. Not the raging river that's flying by in the and the crashing waves in a storm, but I think rather the quiet river and the, and the waves that gently crest up on the beach. 
Zechariah 9, verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There is peace promised for the nations through Jesus Christ. The threat of harm that exists brings no fear for those in Christ because God has cut off the chariot and the war horse and the battle bow. Very appropriate for our times, I think. Once again, bringing us back to the focus on the things of God rather than the things of this world that would, that would bring us terror and worry and anxiety. <clears throat> Luke 2, 14. So we're, you see how we're kind of transitioning along. Now we're in the New Testament. And we're going to see kind of the fulfillment of this piece. Luke two fourteen, well-known verse for all of us. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The announcement of Jesus' birth uh, by the angels it, it proclaims peace with, them, with those who, whom he is pleased. There are many, many more examples of peace um, or shalom in God's word. I encourage you to look for peace in God's word when you worry, when you have anxiety. <clears throat> One good way to do that is kind of what I did here. Take your concordance in the back of your Bible and just look up the word peace and just start following those verses as they go along. You'll be amazed at what you find there, at the things that you hear from God's word that give you comfort and peace. So I I wanted to ask you, when you think about this word peace, um, why do you think it has so much meaning for us? Jesus is our peace, yeah. And there's a lot to think about with that. There's a lot to get through when we think about Jesus as our peace. We're going to talk more about that too. We'll fill that in a little bit. Any other thoughts about peace and why it's important for us? Uh, you first and then, then Michelle. Yeah. 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 And and we couldn't do it on our own. We can't we can't bring that peace, we can't bring that completeness with God on our own. Yeah. Michelle. Well when you read the definition of peace, it's all those things that we're constantly searching after, you know, rest and wholeness and completeness and health and safety and love. It's we it's what we crave. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really important. When we crave that if, if we're not looking in the right place for it, what comes along behind it? Fear, right? Fear, anxiety, worry, all those things that creep in. And, and it could be just mundane things that, you know, that worry us. And, uh, and when, I, when I do that, I look at it and think, well, what am I worried about anyway? <laughs> Nothing to worry about because God is in control. And, and you know, as I've seen through this study, I've got a perfect place to turn when I, when I worry about things. And then I can have that peace. Okay, that's a good one, good verse. There are a lot of good verses that talk about that, that peace and how to keep it and how to get it. Um, when Jesus ministered on earth, he brought peace, which I, Calvin, you mentioned, and, you, and Jeff, you mentioned it, and Michelle too. 
and, uh, and Caleb. It, it's kind of where we always fall back to, right? But let's read Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start at verse uh, 13. And you could probably do a full hour of study on this verse alone. But but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So this action by Jesus enables believers to have real peace because he has conquered sin and made peace for us. This is the peace that God promised from the beginning and carried out by sending his beloved son to the cross for us. Um, remember when we read uh, Luke chapter four sixteen to 21? Uh, because we, we read it in, in the context of what Jesus did did when he came and fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. I think it's worth reading it again just to, just to think about. Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. People don't always hear <clears throat> well what Jesus did. And he's telling the Jews of that time, look, I'm, I'm, I am the fulfillment of the prophecy. I am the Messiah. But they couldn't hear that. They, they struggled with that. And we do too sometimes, I think, in just believing who Jesus is and what he did. Um, so we have to remind ourselves. I remember someone saying, and we've heard it several times, I think, that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, which is true. We need to hear the gospel that it saves us from sin, that Jesus conquered sin, that he uh, proclaimed liberty to the captives. Sometimes we are captive to our sin. He gave sight to the blind. We're blind sometimes to the things we need to understand. We're uh, liberty to those who are oppressed. So he took away our oppression and gave us liberty to proclaim the Lord's, the year of the Lord's favor. And this is it. This is the year of the Lord's favor for you know for the, since the time that Jesus came. Um, so it's not it's, peace is not just possible; it is promised. Um, go back to Ephesians two verse fourteen, where it says, "For He Himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down His flat, in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility." What a comfort to know that. So, how have you experienced? the shalom in your life? Have you experienced shalom in your life? Might be a better question. Jeff's raising his glasses. <laughs> Does that mean anything or no? No. No, okay. <clears throat> no over here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Have any of you experienced shalom in your life? Brian. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I find it interesting that Paul calls it the gospel of peace. Yeah. Right? So each and every one of us who, who have heard this good news and have received it, right, we, we've, we've experienced peace, right? Um, but, but the question is, out of that experience, how do we experience even more peace, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and day by day, year by year, I think the significance of the gospel grows in our hearts, in, in peace. Um, I, I just remember when I became a Christian, really, and, and the peace that was there. It was amazing. Um, how, how has this shalom or this peace made you um, think about the world you live in? Has it made you think differently or... Um, does it affect your thinking about the world we live in? <clears throat> this idea of shalom that you experience, hopefully, does it make you think? What does what does it make you think about the world we live in? How does it influence your thinking about it? That is true. We're going to expand on that thought right there. So hold that thought. And, and as much as man denies God or that eternity that's in his heart, it's still there, and he won't find any peace until he recognizes that, for sure. Thank you. Um, how, does, how does it make you think about the kingdom, God's kingdom specifically? Does it make you think of the kingdom? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And so hold that thought because we're going to we're going to move right into the next section here about peacemakers. Um when we experience this peace in Christ, this shalom, we are equipped to live as servants of the king in his kingdom. It equips us. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but we bring the idea of peace into all of our relationships even with those we meet in a, in a, and live with in a broken world. The world's a fearful place if you don't know, if you don't have peace, right? Um, so we can be peacemakers in all our relationships. Now, that doesn't mean peace at all costs. Um, Neville Chamberlain, right? It isn't peace at all costs. It's sometimes we have to hold people accountable for their sin. We have to say, that's not right. And in doing that, we give them the gospel, Charlie. Luther actually said, peace is possible through no 
Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. Uh huh. Really important. Because how do we love people if we just kind of say, well, hey, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. We have to give them the truth. We have to tell them, you, you aren't saved unless you know Jesus Christ in a saving way. Really critical. All right. Um, so, how can we model that? What are your thoughts about that? How do we model that? peacemaker role in the kingdom. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so I have a question then. How do we know whether they're at peace or not? Ah, that's a key. If we know them. So, I mean, people, we, I, you know, I think of my neighbor, you know, Sweet, loving guy, but I don't think he has peace. He doesn't have the peace of Christ. So for him, it's it's more of a thing of I need to get to know him well enough to speak the gospel into his life, to say what you believe isn't going to help you. This is this is the gospel of Christ, and it's, it means you can be saved. You you can have eternal life. We're working on that. You know, it's it's a process, but that's definitely a starting point. And, and like Charlie's quote from Luther, truth at all costs. So uh, I don't try to sugarcoat things with him. You know, I, I try to make sure he understands, here's the gospel, here's what it means. We're all sinners. We're all broken in many ways. Um, okay. Um, well, <clears throat> I want to suggest a few places for us to think about it as, uh, as ways to be peacemakers. First, I think... We have to forgive those who treat us unfairly. We've probably all been in situations in life where someone was really rough or mean to us in ways that wasn't fair at all. And it hurts. And sometimes that can ride with you for a long time. And you can feel like, I don't think I could ever forgive that person. But I kind of have to make a run at that. And it's challenging. It's difficult. It's not easy. Um, but Matthew 6.14 says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you, have not, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <clears throat> what does that do? It takes away our peace. When we can't forgive, it makes us unable <clears throat> excuse me, to experience that shalom, that peace. But if we can say <clears throat> in our hearts and maybe renew a relationship with them and say, you may not even have to bring up the subject, but just love them, show them that you care about them. And uh, at some point, you may have a chance to talk about the things that they said that hurt you or did that hurt you. Um, another area is seek forgiveness when you have wronged someone. That's really important. I think we pretty much all know when we've wronged someone. And, and um, sometimes we do it unintentionally. But if you realize it at some point, it's important to say, boy, I, I shouldn't have done or said what I said. Please forgive me. <clears throat> and it gives us a real big chance then to talk about why we feel we, it's important to do that. We, we can impart that idea of peace and shalom to the person that we're dealing with and, and seek their forgiveness. <clears throat> peace in our homes. <clears throat> um, 
it's kind of a big topic. Um, how do we pursue that? Well, it's, it's really a big story, and we could spend a lot of time thinking about ways to do that. But how do you all pursue peace in your home? Daily guiding. Daily guiding. Forgiving. Forgiving. <laughs> Sometimes it's that, yeah. <clears throat> Right, that's good. Yeah, gospel reenactment. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so peace in our homes is very important. Um, being peacemakers in our church is also very, very important. Unity uh, in our fellowship is, is critical. I mean, we, we can't be a good church if we can't be united around the gospel. Um, and there are so many things that would divide us, so many things that would take away that unity. And so we have to strive to overcome those things, the things that would, that would uh, make us unable to be united together. It does. Um, and so we kind of come back to some principles there about sin. If we've sinned against someone else, we seek their forgiveness. If they've sinned against us, we, we'd go to them in love and say, Brother, you hurt me. You, know, you, you said something or did something that was hurtful to me. That all promotes the unity of the church. Philippians 2, verse 2. Let's, let's turn to that. <clears throat> Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counting others more significant than yourselves. Um, there's an awful lot to think about in that verse. Um, being together in our, in our minds about what we think about things. How do you do that? Well, I think it starts by dialogue. You have to talk to each other and find out what do they feel about this? What do they think about that? I mean, um, we don't know if somebody dislikes the lighting of the church now unless we ask them, right? So um, that's, that's kind of off topic. But, <laughs> um, it, but there are many things that we do and say that I think we don't take into consideration what does the other person think about this and, and, and how can I help them to be united with me and Charlie. That's excellent, by those who make peace. So there we are. Unity in the church is making peace in the church. Really, really important idea. John seventeen twenty three. 23. Um, 
Because when we think about uh, peace in the church, yeah, we there are actions we need to take and things we have to do, but where it really comes from is by the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. And so we, we do all these things because of what Christ did, because he, he purchased our pardon, but then he gave us his spirit when he, when he rose again. Ephesians 4.26 Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's, it's a good principle to live by. Um, I think Elaine and I talked about that when we got married. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, we get angry about stuff sometimes, and it's human to do that, I guess, but it's also very good to look at that and say, was that reasonable? Was I right in that? Maybe not. I need to do something about that. Ephesians 3, 9 through 10. <clears throat> and this is, this is kind of our example to the world and how we can start to be peacemakers there. Verse 9 says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And it was really struck by the idea that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities. Wow. <laughs> Who knew we could do that? But yeah, through the church, our role is to, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And it seems sometimes like we are powerless uh, to change the situations in our world. Um, we know that we know who made all things, and we know that he brought salvation by his plan. Uh, as kingdom children, we share the gospel with our world and bring peace. Um, I have a little quote from a magazine, a Christian magazine that Michelle gave us. It says, All of us, with contrasting worldviews, live in the same country and hope to live at peace with one another. And how do we facilitate that? Well, um, it, it starts with our attitudes, but we can be peacemakers in our world. We can demonstrate what real peace is. And people are going to look at that and say, why are you different? Why do you feel peace in the world, you, in the world we live in, in the present age, in the, in the way things are going? Well, it's because of Jesus Christ and what he did. And we get to share the gospel that way. <clears throat> um, Psalm 119, 165 says this, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So when we are peacemakers, um, I, I listened to R.C. Sproul this morning. I'm sorry I always bring him up, but I, I listen to him a lot. He was talking about uh, in Mark, uh, I forgot to write down the... Anyway, he's talking about the... the um, scribe who came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? He wasn't, or the first commandment. And so he wasn't saying in order of when they were given, what is it? He was saying, what is the most important concept or, or commandment that was given? 
And Jesus' answer is this. <clears throat> he quotes the Shema. I won't quote the whole thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind is a, a bit more than what was given in the Shema. Mind is an additional part of that. And so it's really saying for us to love God with all of our being, with everything we are. And, and so when you think about that from that verse in, in Psalm 119, great peace have those who love your law. What is the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, so that really expands our thinking about that. And we can have peace then um, as we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then what a witness we can be to the world around us. Again, they see us and they say, you have peace and I want that peace. How do I get that? Let's talk a little about yesterday and today. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we experience things in life that are kind of um, spiritually or emotion, emotionally harmful for us or, or at least make it difficult for us to think of ourselves in the right way. Um, you may have failed in an attempt to overcome a sin or, or even just a difficulty that we were presented in life and it didn't go well. You can feel a little defeated and alone by it. Um, it lead us to worry and anxiety and fear. In most cases, hiding from that can lead to more fear. Hiding away from that it just leads us to more anxiety and worry. Um, so when we experience those past difficulties that seemed uncontrollable or unpredictable, um, that's when we've got to start thinking about how to deal with that. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I was in high school, I was probably a senior, I guess, I was asked to teach a Sunday school class. And... Uh, who it didn't go well. <laughs> Children's Sunday school class. They were so out of control, it was just awful. And I said, man, I never want to go through that again. So I decided right then and there, never going to teach a Sunday school class. And I was adamant about it. I told Elaine, nope, I'm never teaching a Sunday school class. That is not going to be something I'm going to do. And um, <laughs> interesting how God changes us on that. Um, at some point, I went through an experience in life where I was really comforted by the training I'd had from Sunday school class, ineffective as it was, about the Heidelberg Catechism. And I thought, you know, the kids in our church don't get any catechism at all. I'd like to teach that to them. And so I asked if I could do that. They thought I was nuts, but they said, all right, well, if you want to do that, so I had 17 boys, 6th grade Sunday school class, and uh, we, we pushed our way through the Heidelberg Catechism. I learned a lot teaching that class, but one of them is that if you come with real zeal about what you're teaching, it catches on with your students. And um, so I think from, that was about 1993, I think, or four. So from that time, I had uh, two or three years where I didn't actually teach. Uh, so all that time, I taught Sunday school to children. And, but I told Elaine, uh, never going to teach adults. Not going to do that. No. It's just, it was very threatening to me. <laughs> so here I am. Funny, funny how that stuff works out. Um, 
Yeah, God has other plans for us. And, and so I guess it's good to think about those things, though, because uh, there are lots of things in life that maybe create a little fear in us that make us say, well, I don't want to do that again. I, I, I just, I'm going to make that a, something I never do. Um, what do you think about that? What, what are some ways that you can think of that would help to deal with that in a constructive way? Let me suggest a few things. I think first, we should seek wisdom from other believers. You know, sometimes people see us better than we see ourselves, and and they see things that they know would make us able to do the things that we fear, um, able to overcome the things that worry us, uh, that we struggle with. Um, I think to share the things that you fear and that you struggle with, with someone around you, who you trust, some another believer who you can be accountable with and say, I don't want to do this, but sometimes I feel like maybe I should. Or if you're struggling with a sin, go to another believer that you trust and, and you like to listen to and think about with and say, I'm struggling with this sin. Can you help me deal with it? And I think those are very constructive ways for us to deal with those things. Um, God doesn't promise to spare us hardships in life, uh, but he does promise to be with us. And he gives us the courage to go through um, those situations in those difficult times. Um, realize that sanctification is a gradual process. You take it one day at a time, uh, praying for God's help and guidance as you face the things you fear. Our calling from God outweighs our fears. Speaking of which, that was kind of the yesterday idea. What about today? What is your calling? Um, The answer is not what you might think. It's really about the day-to-day stuff, the acts of obedience um, that he calls you to. So if you're a student, you might think about doing your homework on time without being asked uh, being helpful in class, um, just all the things that go with being a student. And not just saying, well, i got to be a good student by getting perfect grades. That's not the point. The point is being a student who honors God with your study by being diligent with it and and working on it, piano lessons and whatever it is that you need to do with that. Um, If you're employed... um, you want to be diligent with your work. You want to be trustworthy, dependable, able to be on time, um, dress for the job. Just do all the things that come with being a good employee for your for your employer. Um, if you are self-employed, you want to be honest and trustworthy, so that when you when you deal with someone who's buying a product from you or a service, you give them all of what you promised, and more. I mean, if you're a homemaker, you've got to do the things that you do every day diligently. And, you know, I I would have to say I'm probably not the best person to speak to that. Uh, But I know my wife enjoys laundry, right? Yeah, it's one of her favorite things to do. (laughs) After running millions of batches over our lifetime, I I think that... that's probably a little bit of a stretch to say that. but uh, So 
well, how do you deal with those drudgery things in life? Well, you do them diligently as unto the Lord. That's a good, good uh, principle, a good concept to be thinking about. So why did I choose examples from daily life and, and, uh, instead of things like being an elder or a deacon or a pastor? Um, um, it, it fits with being able to do all things for God's glory. Now, certainly, if you're an elder, a pastor, or a deacon, that's doing things to God's glory, and that's really good. But every one of us can do things for God's glory. No matter what we are, no matter who we are, we can glorify God by our actions and what we do. Elizabeth Elliot said, Trust God and do the next things. These are ordinary steps of obedience regarding the tasks right in front of us. Uh, Jesus made it clear that nothing done in obedience to the Father is mundane or ordinary. That's important to think about. Nothing you do is mundane or ordinary. There is really no kingdom activity that's ordinary. So think of your ordinary tasks in that way. <clears throat> I, I appreciate her doing it because the laundry, the, the, the washer and dryer scare me. I, there's something about looking at those like, oh, you have to know all these settings. Anyway, we could go into that, but... <clears throat> Um, but that's kind of what sanctification's about, right? I mean, it's looking at what we do, the ordinary tasks of everyday life, and understanding they're for God's glory. And that brings us to what is sanctification? Um, I want to read a quote from a book by Sinclair Ferguson uh, titled Devoted to God, Blueprints for Sanctification. Uh, so as I read this, you, you, I can't do it, but, but hear that Scottish accent there from Sinclair I always love listening to him. I can't do it. Now, it would be a disaster. <clears throat> he, says, <laughs> he says, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here is an exhortation to live by the Spirit. It arises from the new situation into which we have been brought by becoming Christians. The unexpected new reality in our lives it, uh, is that it uh, is in our lives uh, is that the presence of the Spirit brings us into a conflict zone. <clears throat> we are now involved in a spirit against flesh war. Boy, how true that is. It's always our spirit against flesh, and we are weak in our flesh. Our calling today requires that we recognize this conflict and seek strength from God to deal with it. I better move along a little quick here because I'm running out of time. Um, <clears throat> so tomorrow, the faith is not a leap into the unknown. Uh, rather, it is a shift of confidence and trust to the one who has always proven faithful. If we base our trust on the things of this world, we will always be fearful because we cannot trust them. Think about the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. Um, and I think I may have changed some things on that. Yeah, I, I'm not going to do all 1 through 14. Uh, let's look at uh, verse 1 to start with in Hebrews 11. Um, <clears throat> now, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Um, so we we have to 
we know the end of the story. And so for us, for us, faith is a little bit more of what we can see. But you think about the, the, the patriarchs, those of old, who, who didn't know exactly what the end was going to be, but they trusted that God had made promises and that he would carry them out. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> we hear witnesses here in Hebrews that are going to talk about what that faith means. Uh, look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things, was not made out of the things that were, are visible. So it begins by understanding creation and understanding that creation is bearing witness to God. That's the first witness, really, that he's the creator of all things. And as the creator, he also created a way of rescue um, for mankind after Adam's sin. <clears throat> then in verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah understood those future events uh, because God revealed them to him. He responded by building the ark. He believed God's word. Um, and he had a lot to fear, too. I mean, people were mocking him about building an ark. Yeah, what are you going to do that for? And it took him a long time to do it, too. And he just kept chugging along doing it. But that faith <clears throat> um, it became righteousness. Then you look at Abraham's witness. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, <clears throat> heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So here's Abraham wandering as a nomad, a pilgrim, and he, um, he believed what God promised him. He believed that he would have a land. He believed that he would have descendants, even though for a long time he didn't see that. Um, Ed Wells says in his book, God deliberately withheld ownership of the promised land as a way to perfect Adam, Abraham's vision of the future. If he had received it immediately, Abraham was liable to look for nothing better. Instead, his wandering gave him opportunity to know God and trust him, and he became certain that an earthly dwelling was a mere signpost to an eternal uh, dwelling with God. Boy, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> if, we, if we always get exactly what we want, maybe we don't see God moving and working through all the circumstances that he brings to bear. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that is our hope. That is what we look at and say, um, he has plans for welfare and not for evil to give us a future and a hope. What a blessed thing to know. The final witness is Jesus himself. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, 
So there's, there's the foundation of our hope, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Um, we are so grateful what, for what he's done there at the cross. He despised the shame of that cross and is seated at God's right hand. Um, okay, uh, I want to actually take just a couple minutes. I know I'm out of time, but um, are there questions that we didn't answer, there things that we didn't talk about that, that still trouble you about fear and anxiety and worry? Yeah, yeah, and that we kind of have to keep continually hauling ourselves back to look at that and understand why we have peace. Um, it's so easy to, to lose our focus and to say, man, I'm, I'm worried about this or that. And then we tend to do like we, we talked about in earlier lessons where we take that on and say, well, God, I got this one. I, I can do this. No, we can't. We can't do it. it it's not in our power to do. And, and it's, it's a, a really good practice when we are troubled, when we have fear and worry, is to turn to God, turn it over to him, and trust him for the answer. And he will answer us. Maybe not the way we want sometimes, but he will answer us. Good. Thank you so much. Um, I, I think if there are other things that you have questions about or want to talk about, I'm always around. Just tap me on the shoulder and we'll talk. With that, let's close in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you that you are our peace um, because of the righteousness that we have in Christ. I pray that you would help us always to remember Uh, to turn to you when we have worries and fears and to give you those worries and fears and let you deal with them. In Jesus' name, amen.